shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakeland, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, this is it. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everyone. This is the last show of 2016, and we are excited to bring it to you. With me always is my good friend, my Christmas buddy, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you? I'm good, man. Are, are you like the, are you my Yukon Cornelius to my Hermie the Elf? Is that what it is? How about that? Yeah, that could be very well. Yeah, I think that works out good. <laughs> so, or or uh, you be you be Yukon Cornelius and I'd be the, the abominable the snowman. That's what I was just going to say. That could be very well, too. <laughs> yeah. So either way, I think we're going to have a great show. makes no difference what role yeah. we play. But, you know, this is it, man. We're into the last one. And, yeah. uh, you know, we're going to get this out before the holiday. And everyone, uh, I hope, has a great holiday. And then we're going to take a couple weeks off and visit with you. I guess the week of the third is our first show back. Yes. Yeah, so it's awesome. going to be exciting, man. But uh, I think we got a lot to do. You know, Greg Freeze is going to join us. He was unable to join us live, so we recorded a little bit earlier, Kelly, him and I. And I know you were preparing for the uh, top stories, but uh, I think one of the things we'll do is we'll kind of start the uh, countdown of the top stories of the year. And we'll talk about them, and then we'll kind of go to the uh, Greg interview, and then we'll come back yeah. and we'll kind of finish that off, man. What do you think? Sounds sounds good to me. I'm I'm sorry I missed Greg in person. I was I was really looking forward to it. I know. I mean, <laughs> I was said, just I wanted to do my Greg Freeze impression, and he wanted me to tell you, man. He was very very sorry that he couldn't get to hear that. So, uh, like he, he called me and messaged me one day. He said, "I want you to know I don't talk slow. Uh, I'm just steady." That's right. Well, remember, <laughs> slow and steady wins the race, man. Slow and steady wins the race. That's so, right, man. You know, Kelly. Uh, You know, when we think about 2016, I think there were a lot of things that happened in our career field in 2016 that uh, really gave us a lot to talk about. And as we talk about the top five stories, and of course, we're going to start by five, start at five, we're going to work our way down. You know, a lot of the stories that we talked about really had to had the same themes of, of, you know, dealing with safety and dealing with, Mm -hmm. you know, situational awareness. And I hope 2017 is going to be a better year. But let's go ahead and start with number five, the number five Top story of 2016. What was it, Kelly? It was a story out of Madison County, Virginia, and Nicole Mittendorf, uh, the uh, Fairfax County fire and uh, fire rescue uh, firefighter paramedic, uh, died by suicide by hanging, apparently after a uh, a case of bullying um, amongst a, a website there uh, populated by by employees of her uh, of her department uh, called uh, Fairfax Underground. Um, it's a pretty sad and pretty seedy story of the the culture that uh, that tends to uh, to pervade EMS and the fire service sometimes. And uh, we had a lot of unconscionable behavior in that in that thing. And uh, I don't know if anyone today has yet been been linked to the story or, or been made to uh, pay for their uh, for their bullying, but uh, I would only hope that happens uh, eventually. Yeah. You know, and I think that one of the things is now that we're, this was back in April, and I can remember when we did this show, we were very, very uh, upset, as was the career field, that this could have happened. But in all fairness, uh, you know, these are stories that, uh, you know, has no ending. So we don't know if it was true. Uh, we don't know <clears> if it was, uh, it, you know, if we get to the end and find out that this was something other than, um, you know, uh, cyberbullying. But I think the when we think about the idea of cyberbullying, 
I mean, the story that just comes to my mind is I was just helping my daughter with her schoolwork, and there was a, a, a cyberbullying incident, and the girl who was involved, you know, they were talking about uh, her sexually, that uh, call this number, she'll give you free sex, whatever it was, and very, very uh, disturbing. Mm. But she thought there was no other options, and she decided to kill herself. But what was even more disheartening was that her parents ran to her room and found her with the gun to her chest and begged her not to kill herself. And unfortunately, she said there was no way out, and she wound up taking her own life. And when we think <clears> about <throat> the story that happened in April, Kelly, and we think about people you know, on the civilian side that are having to, to feel that there is no way out other than to leave this world, we really have to be able to think about what we're doing you know, to our peers and what we're doing to our classmates. And, yep. and this type of this type of bullying, regardless of it's cyberbullying or, or face-to-face or whatever that is, there, there's really no place with it anymore. And I think we've got to, you know, I think we've got to stop doing it. I mean, I was somebody who was bullied younger in my yeah. life. And, you know, it's funny that when I listen to the people who were doing the bullying now that I'm friends with all these years later, they were being bullied themselves by other people. But yet, rather than, yeah. you know, stopping the cycle, yeah. they were continuing it. And I don't even know what that answer is. But... In EMS, we are very, very bad about it. I was bullied in high school, and and I bullied other people. Uh, it's uh, and I'm ashamed to say that now. And and uh, man, if I could if I could go back 30 years and and take back some of the things I did to some of the uncool kids in school, I, it, maybe my life and theirs would be very different. But I was a 16, 17 year old kid, you know, subject to to uh, peer pressure as most teenagers are. These these guys in Fairfax were grown ass men, mm. and that's what's so infuriating about this is is that you know we have this ethos in, in EMS and fire that uh, and in public safety that you you got to have your partners back in a fight. If things turn bad, you've got to be able to rely on your partner to bail you out. Uh, and not only did these people not have a fellow firefighters uh, and paramedics back, uh, but they actively um, sought to ostracize her and drive her out. And that's just unconscionable. That, that has no place in our profession. And, and I would hope that, that Chief uh, Bowers of the, of the department there is, has not let this matter rest and that he roots out the cancer in his department because that's that's exactly what it is it's a cancer not only in his department but to our profession as a whole and uh we've got to cut it out and i agree with you 100 percent. let's go ahead and go to our fourth story of 2016 and this is another one that we talked about uh you know pretty you know we had a pretty good discussion about it. as a man who filmed the crash scene sentenced to jail and this yeah. was Paul Pelton. He opened the car door and filmed the dying teen instead of helping. Oh. And, uh, you know, here's a guy, you know, this is a la uh, Princess, uh, Princess Diana when she was killed. Yeah. And the paparazzi, instead of helping, they were just more apt to film her dying. And, uh, you know, one of the things is people, you know, civilians, they don't have the same dedication that we have and understanding of, of uh, these folks that are in these situations. But here he was. This was uh, a 41-year-old man opened the car door um, of a crash that killed Cameron Friend, who was 17, and his friend, who was severely injured, Zachary Gooding, another 17-year-old. Yeah. And instead of helping them, he opened the car door, he filmed them, and then he posted it on Facebook and even tried to sell it to the TV stations. And this is one of those sticky wickets that we put ourselves into in EMS where we say to people, you can't be filming this scene. And I think that we've talked to you know experts like Ray Camp, and, and we know that people mm-hmm. can 
film the scene if we're in the street. But secondarily, it is going to be a crime, though, if you don't render aid to somebody and instead mm-hmm. try to make money off their bad, uh, you know, their bad situation. And this was well, one of the ones that you and I were very, very upset about, and uh, we passed a lot of judgment on Paul Pelton, forty-one. Oh, I'm still judging him. I'm still judging. That's a, you know, Merry Christmas, you horrible human being. Uh, how how can you do? such a thing. And this was, this wasn't just a, a matter of filming a, a scene in public, um, you know, which, which sometimes while it may be low class is, is perfectly legal, but he went beyond that. This wasn't a kid on the street, uh, and in the public domain where there is no expectation of privacy. He was one dead, one severely injured in his car. And most legal jurisdictions regard your car as an extension of your home, and you have a right to privacy there. Uh, but no, he opens the door and and takes his gore porn, um, and oh my God, for thirty days in jail and two hundred and fifty dollar fine, strong strong work. Uh, and that's the thing. The system. Yeah. That's the thing that I was going to ask you too, because at the time I don't know that we knew that he only got thirty days in jail. Maybe we did, but. It was that, and it was a plea deal. I mean, do you think that was good? Do you think that was enough time for that? Or, I mean, even if he was found guilty, what would he have gotten that uh, he took a third? I don't know. You know what I mean? It seems like that would have been uh, uh, a little bit more stiffer penalty, but, you know, that was. (laughs) How's him with the the biggest, most hardened criminal uh, roommate and then uh, film him for public consumption? There you go, uh, man. The next 30 days. How about that? Poetic justice. That would have really worked out. But so we've got the top three to go, Kelly. But before we go ahead and get to those, let's go ahead and and jump into that interview we did with uh, Greg Fries. Yeah. And uh, we talk about the you know the top things that happened in 2016, and uh, what the expectation is for 2017. It's a really great uh, interview with Greg, and uh, we'll be back with you on the other side of that, and we'll count down the top three news stories, and I'm sure we got a lot more to talk about. So we're really excited, and uh, I guess I'm really excited to do this without my good friend Kelly Grayson. But uh, joining us now is editor in chief Greg Fries. Greg, always awesome when you come and join us on the show. Well, Chris, glad to be here. I'm sure Kelly's going to be devastated that he doesn't get a chance to do his uh, stellar Greg Freeze impersonation uh, while I'm live and on the line with him. So uh, this is a special shout out for Kelly. Hey, Kelly. To, you know, to he does it so well, to be honest with you. I don't know that this isn't Kelly. but So I'm just going to hope that it is Greg Freeze as we do this. Right. It's always awesome, Greg. And I got to say, you know, another great year for EMS and, uh, you know, another great year for the work that you're doing there at EMS One. Your team is doing an outstanding job of, you know, keeping us uh, notified of what's going on and really giving us a lot to think about when, uh, you know, it comes to doing a better job. And, uh, you know, kudos to you and the team. Well, thanks so much for that appreciation, Chris. I think what's uh, most gratifying for me and the work I do as editor in chief is. Uh, you know, certainly the compliments I get from you and Kelly, uh, which, uh, for the record, aren't made under duress or penalty threat, uh, but really more so the emails and Facebook messages we receive, as well as when we're out at uh, conferences and events, uh, those messages of appreciation uh, that we get uh, from people that are reading EMS One, that they make it part of their day um, when they're on a truck or when they uh, come into the office as a supervisor or a manager and open up our websites and uh, social pages on Facebook or uh, get our emails. So uh, thanks for those kind words, Chris. 
You know, so, you know, Greg, I think 2016 was a, was a very, very interesting year. And I think one of the things I would like to do with you here is to kind of reflect on some of the highlights of 2016. So if you had to put your finger on a couple things that really, you know, gave us maybe a thought or, or maybe put us into a position to think about transformation or things that really uh, gave us a scare. I mean, what are the couple things that you bring to us that we say that 2016 will be known for this? So a couple of things come to mind uh, real quick for me. That first of all is, you know, paramedics and EMTs and EMS leaders have known for several years that the opioid overdose epidemic was a real thing. It was happening all around us. But I think we finally in 2016 got the attention of policymakers, of the wider media, consumer media, if you will, and then also the general public. Uh, I think finally we're seeing people are standing up and paying attention to the devastating effect that opioid overdoses are having, not only on the people that are, of course, dying from the overdoses, uh, the people that are successfully resuscitated by EMS or by bystanders, but also the effect on uh, family, on communities, on law enforcement. Uh, I mean, this thing is, is really uh, a growing still problem that I, I guess it's, you know, it's bad that it's still happening, but it's good that we finally have some attention uh, to it. Uh, it came up during the presidential campaign. It seems to be on the consumer media, whether it be newspapers or television or uh, podcasting that I'm experiencing and reading all the time. And so that uh, I, that's the top of my list. The other thing that's really high on my list, Chris, is the continuing violence against public safety professionals. Yeah. Uh, I think the the general public is obviously aware of, of the um, the spike in ambush attacks on police officers uh, this year, and that's obviously worrisome uh, from all sorts of levels and of great concern. Uh, but there's also been the continuing attacks on EMTs and paramedics and firefighters we had an article that uh, was written by um, the widow of the firefighter that uh, responded to check on. Uh, it was an EMS call, a seizure patient, and he was shot and killed early in 2016. And uh, his widow has written a, a really sort of amazing reflection about his life of service and the impact on his community, his fire department, uh, her and the work that EMS does. Uh, that I think really, you know, from the start of the year when that incident happened and then a few months later, the firefighters that were shot in, I want to say Northern Virginia, but it could have been Maryland. And I apologize. I don't have that detail in front of me. Um, and and then her year-end reflection, I think, really puts a, a fantastic uh, bookend on that. And then, of course, we know the story of the EMT student emergency medical responder from just a few weeks ago, Daniel Wesley, who stopped uh, when he saw a woman in the road and he was uh, both shot and hit by uh, the man that had murdered uh, this gal. So this uh, sort of continuing threat of violence um, is is a real thing and it's important and it's it's very memorable uh, for me about what, you know, what 
what happened in 2016 and involved EMS. Yeah, and I think when you bring it, you bring up some really big points. And you know, we've been dealing with this opioid epidemic for 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 decades and decades. And it was good to finally see this, you know, uh, this 200-page report that came out of the Surgeon General who was saying we got to do something about it. Now this this carfentanil thing. We had Art Sia on a couple weeks ago where he was talking about the potential of you know this carfentanil really uh, affecting providers if they're going into the home. Uh, because of its potency and you know so even when you talk about the the dangers of ems providers it's not just with violence but it could be with you know other potent uh, uh, narcotics that are now being seen and this really did become a year of uh, ems safety yeah you know and i was thinking as you're speaking like the the risks to ems providers continue to increase i'm at a loss to think of like What's a risk that used to exist to EMS providers that no longer exists? And can you imagine, uh, you know, 20 years from now, us saying, boy, remember when we were so worried about such and such, and that's just not a problem anymore? Uh, And, you know, so we have this growing list of uh, risks to EMS providers as they respond to incidents at the incident itself, and then potentially the things that they're exposed to. Uh, both in terms of physical injury and illness. Uh, And then I think another continuing theme of uh, 2016 was the, you know, the rising concern. And I I think this is something that's leapt into the general public consciousness as well as the the rising concern about the emotional toll or the mental health impacts of being uh, an EMT, paramedic, or other types of uh, public safety provider. Yeah, and again, we're talking about we're losing so many, you know, friends, so many, uh, you know, brothers and sisters because of PTSD, and and because I think we we've got a very very poor stigma in our career field of of how we deal with that. But you know, that's something we really got to pay attention to in 2017. Greg, I know you're on, you know, you, you're really kind of on the the forefront of all the things that are happening in our career field. Give me your impression about the. The, you know, the transformation, EMS 3.0, mobile integrated healthcare, community paramedicine. What did that do for us in 2016? Well, I think we've seen a growth in the number of providers that are offering something that maybe loosely falls under the umbrella of community paramedicine or mobile integrated healthcare. And I think that's a good thing. And I think it's uh, clear that we're still in the sort of like dabbling around the edges phase of this, of you know, recognition by EMS providers and agencies that uh, we have to have some sort of role beyond responding to 911 calls. And is there, because, you know, we, we can't keep up with the growth of 911 calls. Is there a way that we can somehow get in front of that and slow down the inbound volume of calls? And I think we've seen a few places where they've been able to point to some evidence that they are having an impact on reducing readmissions or the patients that are getting a 911 transport to a hospital, uh, that it was uh, legitimately warranted, uh, if you will, because this uh, community paramedic assessment in the home, you know, flagged a patient of like, yes, this patient really does need to go back to the hospital. I think that's exciting for me. You know, I have an ongoing concern, and I've, I've stated this uh, many for many years now, just how do we scale 
these programs in a way that they're really having a significant impact on a large number of patients and then in turn uh, call volume in some significant way that, you know, if we have, you know, a large agency might assign one or two or five or six uh, community paramedics and, you know, they see a handful of patients every day. But if that agency is doing 100,000 or 500,000 calls a year or more, uh, you know, is that impact, is it significant enough, not only for that agency, but then to uh, show a way forward for other agencies to scale up uh, community paramedicine in a way that, you know, we can point to 10 or 20 or 50% of uh, patient encounters um, had a different non-911 transport response. Yeah, I think that's a great, I think that's great oversight. And one of the things that we need to think about is, you know, as we're doing this, you know, this isn't the, this is just kind of the infancy, the crawling stage. We don't know what this looks like 25 years from now, as we look back on this time to say, you know, this really helped us or this really hurt us. And I would think there's going to be a total change of what this looks like in the year 2020, 2025. And I think that this is just the beginning. So I think you make some good observations. But, you know, before we talk about 2017, Greg, I think EMS1 has done a really outstanding job of redefining itself as well. What were some of the big milestones for uh, the platform, for EMS1 itself, that, you know, the readers uh, and the people experiencing the website may have noticed? That's a fantastic question, uh, Chris. I think uh, we've, we use some coverage formats um, where we continue to level up on the delivery or the execution of those. And uh, one area I feel like that really sets us apart, but also sometimes causes some friction among readers is that we look to connect uh, what's happening in the larger world with the the interests of EMTs and paramedics. So uh, just about a year ago, the Powerball jackpot was uh, nearing and then surpassing a billion dollars. And, you know, I thought, and uh, Kelly also wrote about this, and we reached out to some other EMS leaders of like, you know, imagine this level of funding for EMS, a windfall of a billion dollars. And, you know, more recently, uh, I wrote about what a President Trump means for EMS. And that, you know, perspective where we look at something that's happening in the world and then try to uh, to narrow it down to, well, you know, obviously Trump's going to be president here in a few weeks. You know, how is that going to affect us? been an interesting way for us to connect with readers and also to serve up uh, content that I think might have meaning to a general audience as well to, to cover things like uh, Trump as president, the uh, Powerball uh, jackpot. Even some of the things we did around the the Summer Olympics in Rio, uh, and we just have an advantage with our all digital platform that when as something is happening in the larger culture, uh, we can cover it and comment on it. You know, within minutes or hours or a day or two of it happening, and I think that's one of the things that continues to set us apart. Uh, and then, you know, we. We do our best to connect with people that are part of the news um, or have significant accomplishments in EMS or in their personal EMS lives. Uh, I interviewed, and you and Kelly also talked to Noah Filer about his accomplishment as a 
paramedic student that was in a horrific motorcycle collision, ended up a double amputee, and then managed to finish his paramedic training and go to work at a hospital in northern Illinois. And just a fantastic story about Noah and his accomplishments and you know stuff like that we're really pleased to bring to our readers and, and your listeners. Yeah, there was even one morning where you got in touch with me and said, hey, Chris, I think we need to do a special podcast about you know, this event and, you know, being able to be dynamic like that and get breaking news out to our, you know, to our readers and listeners, I think was really an excellent uh, opportunity. So Greg, as you now switch gears and you think about, uh, you know, you've got to set the direction now of what 2017 looks like for EMS one from an editorial standpoint. I mean, how, how do you go about doing that? What are you thinking about? Well, Chris, there's, a, I guess, a couple of things that, you know, First of all, some there's some indicators from past performance or reader interest. You know, what are people enjoying? What are they asking for more of? Uh, we know that there's uh, constantly uh, new EMTs and new paramedics entering our career field. And so we want to make sure we continue to deliver up articles, videos, podcasts that help them as, as students succeed or as a new entrance into the career field. And then we also know that we have a a workforce that, you know, maybe just after a few years on the job is either looking to uh, get out or promote and maybe we can create content that will help them stay or help them make choices about what might be next in terms of maybe it is nursing school, maybe it is uh, becoming a supervisor or looking to become part of uh, community paramedicine. Uh, so that and then you know, we know that we also have uh, people that spend many decades in EMS, so it's a, a fairly diverse audience. And so I think it's a combination of, uh, you know, remembering that new entry or a basic uh, inexperienced provider or the new entry advanced life support, but inexperienced provider, and then people in the sort of middle or turning point of their career. And then, you know, old timers like you and Kelly and making sure we we deliver content that uh, fits all three of those audiences. Yeah, I think that's going to be one of the big challenges now as we start to think about the new workforces. It's not only, you know, what we need to know differently, but what do we need to know to work together? What do we need to know, you know, to to kind of to to bridge those generation gaps? I think that's going to be really important. So, are there any big, uh, you know, changes to the website, to the delivery content that you're planning for 2017 or is it too early to discuss those? Uh, so we're going to uh, continue to have uh, what we're calling paramedic chief digital editions in 2017. So we did one uh, earlier this year about um, about e-learning and uh, you know teaching in an online classroom, and then we also had the uh, Fitch State of EMS a trend report that was year one that was released August 2016. In early summer of 2017, we'll be releasing the year two of that trend report. Uh, very shortly between now and the end of the year, we'll have a paramedic chief digital edition that's going to come out uh, with the topic of ambulance safety and provider safety on the road. Really looking forward to that. And then we're going to have a digital supplement or paramedic chief uh, digital edition in 2017. Uh, emerging uh, technologies, and that's coming together uh, probably early spring. Uh, and then we're going to launch a couple of special coverage series in 2017. One's about the uh, top 10 products and innovations that have forever changed EMS. And Mike Rubin, who's been on your podcast before and is the author of the EMS Pioneers series, 
he's writing that uh, top 10. And uh, once we get that uh, launched, we'll definitely get him on the show to talk about the process to select those uh, 10 products and you know what he learned from putting that together. And then, you know, I talked about community paramedicine already, uh, but that's on my mind as a special coverage series for 2017. And, you know, how do we diffuse community paramedicine fast enough to improve pre-hospital health care? And that, uh, you know, certainly if there's listeners that are working in community paramedicine and think that they're having successes and ways that they might scale what they're doing either in their agency or other agencies, I definitely want to hear from them. And then finally, Chris, you know, I don't want to get hyperbolic about uh, Donald Trump about to be president, but I, I really think that it's going to warrant close monitoring for all of us in healthcare about, you know, is there actually a repeal for Obamacare? And then is there any sort of replacement What's the impact going to be on EMS? If we see uh, dramatic changes in the tax code, uh, what is the impact of that on uh, taxpayer-funded programs like Medicare and Medicaid, which pay for ambulance transports, or veterans' health care, which helps pay for ambulance transports? And uh, so, you know, I think there's probably uh, half the audience right now that's uh, rolling their eyes and, and thinking, oh, come on, life is going to be better, uh, get over it. And then uh, the other half of the audience is probably uh, raising their arms in anger that I'm not being uh, more strained about this and saying, yes, the uh, whole world's going to change. Uh, but we definitely should be keeping on our eyes on uh, how things might change in our political environment, and then how that's going to impact EMS in both the short and the long term. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree. I mean, it's not about politics. It's about how the politics affects us in the work that we do. I think we're all reserved. Uh, uh, you know, we, we're all, you know, at a place where we know that change is going to happen. It's just how, how is that change going to affect us? So I don't know that we're really kind of taking a side. But so I, I think that really kind of gives us a good opportunity to kind of move into 2017. And go ahead and just give me a closing thought now for the people who are listening. Uh, you know, give them the, a way to get in touch with you if, if they have ideas for stuff. Well, thanks, Chris, for having me on your year-end show. I always uh, listen to the episodes that you and Kelly do, and I really appreciate uh, the the work you do, especially when it's focused on uh, helping people do their jobs better and more safely. Uh, listeners, you can reach me at editor at ems1.com. You can also find me on Twitter at gfreeze. And my closing thought, uh, Chris, is just a thought of appreciation for EMTs and paramedics that are out in the field doing this work every day as caregivers. Uh, what you do matters. It matters for the patient right in front of you. It matters for that patient's uh, friends or family. And uh, take pride in doing the work. And even though there might be many shifts that go by without a thought of thanks or appreciation extended your way, uh, please, uh, listeners, know that I greatly appreciate what you're doing. And I know that uh, I can speak for Chris and Kelly as well, that we have a great admiration for people that choose a field or a career of being a caregiver and, and working in the ambulance or working in different settings as an EMT and paramedic. So thank you, everyone. 
You know, so I got to tell you, Kelly, it was a, it was an awesome interview, and I know you just heard it, and uh, you know he really missed you, man. He really was he really was upset that <laughs> oh, he didn't get I'm to hear. I know. I'm a little choked up. I know. I mean, he brought you up there, and you know, he did give us some kudos about doing a good job. But I think he really wanted to hear uh, your impersonation. Maybe you could just give him one, just as a kind of an early Christmas present. Um, you know, hi, <laughs> hi. I'm Greg Freeze. Welcome to EMS Educast. I'm the I'm the editor in chief of EMSOne.com, and uh, we've got a lot of a uh, lot of of. Really good things editorially. We're looking forward to, and we're yeah, like we're I said, I didn't know content. I, I, it sounds like he's right here with us, man. He's like you, the Patrick the Starfish of EMS. That's man. it, he's, man. That's really it. So, up. all right, man. Without any further ado, bring us the number three story of 2016. Number three story comes out of Alpharetta, Georgia, uh, and this one's pretty cool. A deaf woman. Uh, um, uh, hold on. A uh, a uh, this one comes out of Alpharetta, Georgia. The Alpharetta Department of Public Safety shared a screenshot of a text exchange between a 911 dispatcher and a woman who needed help. Now, this is the next-gen 911 where you can actually call 911 and, and give them text messages. Yeah, this highlights the uh, the emerging technology in uh, in next-gen 911. And, and Alpharetta, was, uh, their Department of Public Safety, was an early adopter of this technology. And, and quite a few uh, 911 systems still have yet to do so. Uh, but this woman was able to text 911 and, and uh, inform the dispatcher that there were two kids left unattended in a car uh, where she had been shopping. Um, so that was that was pretty cool stuff. This is back in January. So right. yeah. two kids left unattended in the car in the middle of January, um, and and Lisa Collis uh, noticed and was able to text 911 and, and get the uh, get the police out there to uh, to see after these kids. And now I think that's a pretty cool thing. We would hope that more 911 communications agencies start to adopt this technology. It's it shows to be pretty promising. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that's really you know awesome here is that. And this this story got almost 700 comments by the the uh, you know the readers of EMS One, and I think the you know this was really a heartwarming story that it, mm-hmm. if somebody needed it, um, that they were able to contact 911 via text. Secondarily, what about in those emergency situations? You know, what comes to mind oh, yeah. here is the woman who called 911 and ordered and or- a pizza. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, they went ahead and initially it was, uh, you know, you've called the 911, you know, and yes, I know. And then it went down the path of, oh, my gosh, are you in emergency? And then there was another one recently where uh, um, someone wrote on the pizza box, you know, call for help or something like that. But, yeah. you know, now as we start to see the age of social media, is this going to be something that uh, we start to see more of? But I think the answer has to be, Kelly, I, I sure hope so. Yeah, the, I, I think the more ways we can we can streamline and and ease uh, contacting nine one one and public safety and and uh, enable uh, technologies like this. You know, if you you mentioned the 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 pizza delivery. Uh, um, think of how much easier it would be to call nine one one if you're under duress and unable to talk. If there's a prowler or someone in your home and you don't want to make any noise, for example, you could just text nine one one from your hiding place. Yeah, and, that's and, a great. Uh, one and then tell them exactly where to go um you know that's uh, that's something i've i've drilled katie beth about and you know if something happens uh, uh if someone breaks into the house hide in the closet and and call 911 and and you know stay in the closet and whoever opens the closet door if they're not wearing a badge 
shoot till slide lock. Yeah. <laughs> but, and but, I'm sure uh, your daughter knows how to handle those weapons. Yeah, she's 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 getting pretty proficient. But um, you know, that's uh, uh, if she didn't have to to call, if she should, could text, because you know she only has one good arm. But but she's like any teenager; though, that thumb moves at light speed. Man, she can text like nobody's business. That's right. <laughs> no handicap when it comes to texting, right? So that's right. Let's go ahead and hit the number two story, and this one was again another one that we spent a lot of time on, and we kind of touched on it. And you heard Greg talk about uh, safety when it came to yeah. 2016, and this one. This number two story came out of New York City, and a FDNY EMT was shot sitting inside an ambulance. The EMT was shot at a stoplight when the shooter opened fire with a BB gun. I mean, it was good that it was uh, not a real gun, BB and he, gun, did, yeah. he did sustain very minor injuries. And the thing that I think was really interesting as we chatted about it was the fact that does this does this open up to other to, to to real weapons? You know, once you start seeing this happen with you know a BB gun and EMS now becomes a target, does it just open up the window for EMS to be a target to more? Well, I don't know that the answer isn't yes, but we've mm-hmm. certainly seen a rash, Kelly, this year of uh, EMTs uh, and paramedics who were assaulted with uh, knives, who were assaulted with weapons. Some of our fire brethren were mm-hmm. killed. Um, and I think we're starting to see this more and more, and I think we have to really be concerned with safety, uh, have a better understanding of situational awareness, and and uh, not put ourselves in the situations where we might not go home after our shift. Well, yeah, it has been proven time and time again in recent years that, that the the public, well, I won't say the public, I would say a certain segment of society uh, doesn't look at us as non-combatants and, and good guys anymore. They're just as willing to take a shot at a at a paramedic uh, as they are at a, at a cop, and that's sad. Uh, they shouldn't be taking shots at either. But uh, I don't know what it bodes for for us as a profession that that people are so willing to uh, inflict violence and, and use a weapon to do so. But um, it's nothing good, um, and, and I look for this situation this this kind of behavior to only uh, increase. Sadly. Yeah, and I got to tell you, you know. I man, I remember having the attitude of working in some really rough neighborhoods. You know, I kind of walked around like I was bulletproof and only for the sense of saying that, you know, we're the guys that they knew that were going to come and save them. And they kind of kept us safe. And nowadays yeah. we really have no to, longer. Exactly. <laughs> nowadays we have to consider that we're really part of the target. But unfortunately, if the answer is yes, that's going to keep us from going into a lot of those areas where people are going to need our help. Because I know as an EMS leader, I am not sending my folks into harm's way. It's my job yeah. to make sure that they get off at the end of their shift. And uh, I'm really worried that this may change the paradigm of, of the work that we're doing in our career field. Well, I think the paradigm has already changed. We just haven't recognized it, you know, uh, profession-wide yet. You know, if nothing else, this refutes that that, uh, knee-jerk reaction. Oh, well, you know, we don't need body armor. We don't need weapons. We don't need this. We only go into scenes that are safe. You know, this poor guy was sitting at a stoplight when someone just randomly took a shot at him. Now, he took a shot at him with a BB gun, but it could have just as easily been a 9mm or anything else. Um, he wasn't doing anything <laughs> inherently dangerous other than sitting in his ambulance, minding his own business. Uh, you know, and I know in any inner city that, uh, that's one of the, statistically one of the most dangerous things you can do is, you know, sit there and mind your own business. Uh, because most assault victims were doing just that when they, when they were assaulted. But, uh, in this case, and it's no joke, this guy was just sitting at a stoplight, um, 
And if, well, I do if know that that, after, that New York traffic is pretty mean. So, I mean, I think <laughs> well, that could be you know, a... You'd expect the okay. danger to come from other cars, not just from a random passerby. I thought it'd be fun to shoot somebody. I know, that's just um, crazy, man. Yeah. I want to end it up with with the top news. Well, hang on. Let me let me give you let me give you a decent drum roll at least for that. All right. The number one story of 2016 as given to you by our friend Kelly Grayson. And we just talked about this one recently. Go ahead and give it to him. And this comes from my home state, from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the perfect antidote to all the the bad behavior and and stuff we've been talking about in in this year-end wrap-up show. Uh, 17-year-old Central High senior Daniel Wesley uh, encountered a woman who was – who was lying on the side of the road on his way home. Daniel is an EMT student, spotted April Peck lying in the roadway while driving home from a shopping trip uh, and stopped to render aid and uh, grabbed his, uh, <clears throat> grabbed his uh, father's medic bag and, and, and uh, went to tend to the woman. And uh, the guy who uh, shot her, uh, Terrell Walker, her boyfriend, uh, I'm sure that's ex-boyfriend now. Uh, the guy who shot her came back and asked, are you helping her? Uh, I'm going to kill you too. And shot him twice and, and then, uh, uh, hit him with the car and threw him into an oncoming ambulance and wound up breaking his leg. Uh, Daniel was hurt pretty bad, but will recover. Um, and even better than that, we had a, uh, uh, a local physician stopped and saw Daniel and rendered aid to him. So, you know, uh, it, it reminds me of, of the, uh, the old, uh, story by Fred Rogers, you know, when he, he said his mother, Mr. Rogers said that whenever he saw bad things as a kid, you know, and it upset him, his mom said, would, you know, when, when you see these sort of things, uh, look for the helpers, whenever bad things happen, there will always be helpers. Uh, and you can always take heart in that. And, and, you know, now that we've just, uh, we've just rounded the anniversary of the Sandy Hook shooting, um, something I, I reached out to those guys, uh, uh, when they have those, those dark moments and you wonder if, uh, if all of humanity is doomed, uh, for every person that just wants to see the world burn or will lash out in violence, uh, there are 20 who will risk their lives to, to go pick up the pieces and try to make things better and put it back together again. And that's, uh, that's the kind of, uh, uh that's the kind of story that, that, uh, makes my Christmas a lot better, uh, is knowing even though we got a lot of bad people out there, uh, they're far, far outnumbered by the good ones. Yeah, and I, and I hope that that stays that way because you know we've been seeing, you know, people run into, you know, the danger for us and help us, and there's always seems to be, you know, the the caregivers that are there, um, you know, meaning the bystanders uh, as we get on uh, as we get on scene. But you know, as you hear stories like this is that going to make people stop to give aid? And I think that one of the things that we've got to think about is, uh, you know, we've got to try to keep those people safe as well. And, uh, you know, at least this guy, you know, he was going through EMT school. So he had a little bit more of, he probably had just, uh, learned the, you know, the duty to act and how important that was. Yeah. And, and uh, now he knows seeing safety. That's right. He does. But, uh, uh, really interesting, but so we're going to give you just a, a, a one more. I think that that was the number one story, and I think that that mm-hmm. really kind of hit us at our core. And, and we are still trying to get him on our show. Uh, I would really like to talk to him and to you know kind of share a little bit of that experience because I think from the from the victim side, 
we don't really have the opportunity to talk to those folks and say, what was it like? But I mean, I think as, as we start to think about safety, um, we really need to think about, you know, what he was thinking and how that kind of worked out. Mm-hmm. But there was a, uh, top fake story of 2016, Kelly. <laughs> oh, I love this one. And I I'm going to, I'm going to kick that one to you because I don't know that I can do it justice and, uh, I'm going to let you give it out. Man, nothing is better than than reading, say, uh, a um, an Onion article and and reading the stream of comments who, who uh, from people who thought it was it was actually uh, real news. Uh, and and we had one this year um, for the spoof, uh, which is uh, EMS One's version of the Onion, uh, and it was uh, all about the infamous Ambu slap. Fleet manager for a EMS service. Uh, put stickers on the back of his rig. Cops slap here so the driver will know when to pull away from the scene. Um, Chris, how long have you been in EMS and how many times have you had a cop deliver the ambush laps? It's uh, it's quite a few. I don't even know that I can keep count anymore. <laughs> you but know, it's, it's like it's like the, it's like the, the paint scheme, man. That's right, man. It's yeah, and and you know the it's there. There's no consistency in the ambush slap. As the article goes on to say, some people use a three finger back door tap. Others, mostly from the sheriff's department, give a light suggested brush over the back door. Others give the cop knock, and some just give it a couple of light slaps. You know, and and you know when there's that much variability and 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 signals on pull away. Some yeah, training. we need to be some training. We need to standardize this so that a new rookie EMT coming on the scene will know when to pull away from the scene. How about scene this one, Kelly? Up. This one's my favorite too. It's the smack. With the right hand and the left hand, with the go ahead and go movement, yeah, with the, the whirly with the whirly figure over exactly. his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's wind it up. Let's get it out of here. Man, I got to tell you, I mean, I Kelly, it's uh, you know, 2016's been fun, man. I mean, we oh, yeah, uh, as we get into 2017, we're going to start our third year of doing this show, and you know, it's it's really uh, an honor to be with you and partnered with you and bring some entertainment and some knowledge and you know, some disagreements and, and arguments, and I think we're going to have a great 2017. Uh, we're going to uh, hit a milestone uh, about the first week in April where we go over our 150th show. And uh, awesome. I think we got a lot to look forward to in 2017, brother. And I'm going to give it to you one more time and tell you to get us up on out of here. Folks, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We enjoyed sharing the top news stories of 2016 with you. And for myself, co-host Chris Ceballero, and our editor-in-chief, Greg Freeze. thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We wish you peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We'll catch you guys in the next year.